Hello and welcome. This is the Hustle Over Everything podcast, a show where we unite hustlers together, sharing stories, tips, and celebrating the journey to success. I'm your host, Alexander. And I'm your main man, Owen Osinde. Every day is special here. We're here in the Hustlers Den. Today, we have Marsha Drucker. Marsha is the founder of Fuck Up Nights Toronto. She's the marketer turned community leader with the Fuck Up Nights platform in Toronto, where they destigmatize mistakes and provide a platform for entrepreneurs to learn and grow. So today we have her on the podcast to share her journey of starting Fuck Up Nights in Toronto, her entrepreneurship journey, and building community. Owen, what do you think of the pod? Man, Al, this is such a great pod. And uh, it's, it's something that I wanted to talk about for a long time. You know, us as entrepreneurs, you know, we really glorify the success of everything that we do, but we are very ashamed to talk about the things we mess up on. Mm-hmm. So having Marsha on the podcast was actually such a great way to really educate our audience uh, that it's okay to fuck up. You know, it's okay to mess up and to actually share those vulnerabilities because everybody's going through it. So I think she really spoke well about how she started the platform and how a lot of entrepreneurs are benefiting from it. But uh, yeah, man, it was such a, it was a great podcast. It was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Rejuvenating to talk about the both sides of being an entrepreneur, you know? So that's how I felt about it. What about you? Man, I liked it. Um, There were some parts where I disagreed a little bit, to be honest, Mm -hmm. Um, when she said that having community is like two to three people, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I was like, I, I need time to think over it. I also would have like disagreed right in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, but um, I, I definitely gave her a bit of pushback with um, her saying that Instagram isn't a community because mm-hmm. then she actually eventually explained it that mm-hmm. uh, just putting out content is a community. It's it's the give and take of communicating back and forth. That makes yeah. sense. I'm like, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think overall is a, is a good pod. We learned about, uh, tactics to generate an audience um that tactic she used of going in front of the uh, the audience that was a smart mm-hmm. one uh, guys you definitely pay attention to that during the podcast make mm-hmm. sure um also uh how she got pr was a really good strategy as well yeah so i like that i like that a lot um yeah i thought there were some some good parts of it yeah man like i felt like I always heard about these fuck up nights uh, going on and I felt, I, I thought like they're very refreshing to be at, you know, like I've always wanted to go on. I haven't had the opportunity to go on. And like, I think I like to be a part of fuck up nights and talk about the fuck ups I've made over the past seven years. Let's say, uh, you know, I've been in the game, bro. You know, I've been in fashion, I've been in tech and I, I'm in the media business and doing that path has been a lot of, a lot of fuck ups that sometimes, you know, when you look back and you reflect on something, you feel like this embarrassing feeling. You're like, yeah. damn, like, what the hell did I do that? You know, like, why, like, what was I thinking? That's the first thing that comes in my mind. Like, what was I thinking? And I mean, like, it also, you know, makes you wonder, like, why do you think we are so afraid to admit our faults? towards other people judgment yeah you know, judgment um i think mm-hmm. is the biggest thing two things judgment mm-hmm. and non-acceptance you know mm-hmm. um not being accepted is i actually know i see like this acceptance is a hell of a drug you know 
um, no matter what, all the things we do is rooted in acceptance, whether it be from our parents, from our, our peers, from um, people we want respect from, you know? So acceptance acceptance is a hell of a drug. So not being able to get acceptance from somebody can cause us to do all types of things, you know? Mm-hmm. So we stay in our social, economical status, you know, um, frameworks or whatever the word is. It's like so, social capital. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you want to le- always have that in your back pocket. So um, that's why a lot of people walk around with LinkedIn profiles, man, mm-hmm. you know, or, or walk around as a LinkedIn profile more so. Um, I'm curious, man, what was one fuck up that stuck sticks out to you in your mind? What's one fuck up that sticks up to me in my mind, man? Yeah. I can actually go first and then you can... Uh, let me, let, yeah, let me think about it as you talk. All right. All right. So I got one on deck, man. Um, I was working for a boutique um as an intern um i think i was like nine no i think i was in my 20s early 20s at the time mm-hmm. and uh there were some samples that had came in to be shot you know um i was doing the digital marketing for them um and i shot the samples and it went really well i posted a, a photo on the on the, their gram and it had gotten the best numbers to date you know, um, and they the sold a whole bunch. Yeah, in the thousands, in the thousands. Mm. Um, and they're like, what the hell? What did he do? Like, is this some kind of whiz kid? Like, ooh, I can't wait. You know, mm-hmm. time goes on and um, I send back the samples. It goes fine. So we do it again. And um, we shoot. The shoot goes pretty well, decently. And um, I file the samples off, send them over. Um and the samples, the way it worked is that some samples went to one specific distribution center. Mm-hmm. Another sample went to other distribution centers, you know, mm-hmm. or buying centers or warehouses, wherever yeah. they got them from. Mm-hmm. You know? I write the wrong sample tags, the wrong information on the samples, you know, because I was like so amped for, to like, finish a shoe and get to editing and get to like yeah. work. I was too amped. I write the wrong description on it. So it goes to like some other spot and I didn't even know. I, we had to find out through my manager at the time and she was not having it, you know. Um, it was a simple task that had a, like a lot of repercussion for fucking up, you know. So that was a big fuck up on my end. And from that point on, it was just downhill. You know, I started on a high note. The worst, the worst experience to have at a job is to start on a high note and go down. You know what yeah. I'm saying? The word, the best is to like start low and go high, but you like, then you yeah. feel like you're elevating, but to start high <laughs> and go low, oh my gosh, man. Yeah. That's the worst. You know, you have everybody that loving you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And everyone looking at it, man, we, we did a good job hiring this kid. Then yeah. they like, oh, nah, it's okay. He'll, he'll be all right. Then, you, know, you know, the thing is they expect you to, to get better with time, right? But yeah, if you come exactly. out the gates like an all-star, they're like, mm-hmm. rah, like, you know, you've set the precedence right there. Like, I am actually going to keep getting better and better. If he can do this out the gate, let's what we see what he can do. Let's wait. Let's wait and see what he can do in the next three, four, five months, right? So you kind of set the expectations mm-hmm. and, you know, think expectations is what kills everybody. You know, I set expectations from you and you don't meet them. I'm sad. I'm upset. So now when you put that, 
on them. They're like, okay, we expect this from you. And you're just setting them up for disappointment, which sucks. Most definitely. Yeah, Most man. Definitely. So let's get into the business tip of the week. Oh, bro. Yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say mine. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what was your fuck up? Babe? Let's get into that. Bro, man. I remember. So okay. my first business coming out of, uh, actually my first business ever, recruits clothing, recruits sport, uh, sportswear. So I started this brand out of high school. And I came to Ryerson with this brand. That's the reason I came to Ryerson actually is because I had this brand in like Ryerson's downtown. I was like, I can make a lot of connections with a lot of people to build this brand up. I'm downtown Toronto. I didn't want to go to like Laurier or Guelph, Western, whatever those schools are in like the kind of like in the Southwest of everything. Mm-hmm. So I remember I started this collection and it was a crew neck, a hoodie, and a beanie. It was like ready for fall. So for the crew neck, I decided to go the China route. So me being the very uh, positive, optimistic person that, you know, I was like, oh, everything's going to go well. I ordered, I think, a thousand sweaters at the time, right? Thinking I could sell these sweaters. So I had saved all, all my money, all the profit I had made over the summer because, you know, I was selling to my warm market, like all my friends, my mom, my cousins, my everybody who knows me. Oh, Owen's starting a brand. I'm going to go support him. So I'm like, boom, I'm a Ryerson. I'm in res, right? So I'm thinking like, I'm in res. Everybody's going to buy these sweaters. Everybody's going to do whatever. And at that time, the square card reader had just come out. So I, I got the square app and I'm like, you know what? Everybody rates my stuff. Everybody loves the shirt. They're like, yo, whenever you come out with some fresh stuff, I'm going to buy it. So I'm kind of going what people are telling me. So I I use Alibaba. I get the sweaters made. They come within a month and a half, ready for the drop date. Uh, my friends and I, I think IK actually came with me. And we go to the FedEx because they can't deliver at a residence because I'm, I'm in Pittman Hall, right? So they can't deliver a residence. So we have to take a taxi all the way to the FedEx port to pick up all these sweaters. We, we pick them. Then I have to pay like a like a uh, duty on these boxes. It was about like close to 300 bucks, 200 to 300 bucks, right? So, bro, I overestimated how much we were going to sell, man. Like we overestimated. I think we only sold 300, 400 over res and then i gave some away for free to femi lawson so femi i actually contacted i was like yo bro like come on the pod not not come with the pod i know you do youtube let me give you some shit to promote on the on the on the video he's like i bet it was such a cold dm i sent on, on twitter but he was like gladly accepting he's like yo like you're coming up i'm down to do it and it's free sweaters so i gave him a lot of sweaters to give to people because he had a lot of influence. I'm like, you know what? Like, he's a guy who I can count on. So I'm thinking this influence stuff, Femi is going to boost my sales. Did nothing. Not because of Femi's fault, but like, it's just the way it is, right? So man, that was the biggest fuck up ever just because I had spent so much money getting those sweaters made and I couldn't sell them. And it was just such a bad case of judgment. And it's funny how things work out. So I ended up donating all those sweaters to the Goodwill and whatever, just because I, people, everybody in Toronto had the sweater that new recruits was going to buy. I'm not, 
I'm not selling these online. It's hard. So I mean, you know what? Let me do a good cause. At least these sweaters will go to somebody who needs them. Valley Village, if you're going to buy them, boom. So I'm walking to Ted Rogers. One day, I think I had a, a class in Ted Rogers. At, at least this story has a happy ending instead of me just killing all my money. Um, damn, bro. Can we donated like that? Like close to 500 sweaters, man. That's, that's insane. So I'm walking and I come out of um, TRS 100. You know that big lecture hall on the first floor? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And um, this one chick comes out rocking a recruit sweater. So I'm like, yo, I do not know that girl. I've never sold her a sweater. I've never met her before. How the hell did she get a recruit sweater? So I was walking there close to the microwave and I was heating up her food. So I'm like, I have to talk to her and actually like let her know. So I'm like, hey, like, how did you get that sweater? He's like, oh, this one's just like, oh, like, I think I bought it at like some store or whatever. I'm like, really? It's like, yeah, like, do you like it? I'm like, yeah, I think it's dope. It's really cozy and comfortable. Like she's really talking about it. Her name is Anna and her and I are friends now. And she's just like, I'm like, yo, I made that sweater. She's like, what you did? She's like, yeah. I'm like, I, that's my brand. I started when I first came to rice. It's like, no way. Wow. Like I love this sweater. It's one of my favorites. So we end up bonding and whatever, chatting it up and becoming friends. And I see her around the building a lot more, but yeah, bro, 12 entrepreneurs, man, if you're starting a fashion brand, never really order a lot of pieces, man, really buy what you can sell. So that was my fuck up that I had early on in my career. Just, buying too much inventory, which costed mm-hmm. me. And, it, and, and you know what that thing is, bro? That was, the, that was the demise of the brand at the time. It was the demise of the brand because after that, I couldn't really afford to buy more inventory. And that's when I switched to tech because tech is more scalable. So I learned early on that fashion isn't like a scalable business. It's like, and that's when the tech thing was having IG comes out, gets sold to Facebook over 500 days and whatever. So I shifted to tech to start Sneaker Deck. But that was the reason, like, that one mistake really just derailed me and derailed the whole business. And I had to pivot to start something else, which was a blessing in disguise. But I could have not have made that mistake. And Jeez. things could have been different, man. Jeez, man. That's a big fuck up. Yeah. It happens, though, man. It happens. Um, mm-hmm. Just like uh, uh, Mr. Spencer said, you know, like, fuck ups happen. Sometimes you overestimate. And you get a big shipment and you got to go on sale. You got to figure shit out, man. Oh, absolutely, man. It's crazy. It's like 500, almost 500 sweaters, man. 500 sweaters, bro. Yeah. You know, you also what hurts a lot more is um, my mom let me money to start that business because I was so passionate about it. And I think I she borrowed me. She let me like $800 at the time, which to me was a lot of money coming in grade 12. But she had so much faith in me. And I don't know, man. It just crushes me that, like, I killed all that money and all the money I made. But, yo, man, in business, you only have to be right once, right? That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. Damn. That's a big one. That's a good one, man. That's a good fuck up. Um, Oof. Did you learn anything from that? Yes, man. You know, just do your due diligence, bro. Like, do your due diligence. Like... And at the time, bro, I was such a young entrepreneur, man. I was so naive. I didn't know anything about, I knew business, but I didn't know anything at all. I started learning about like, I started learning more about budgeting, finance, planning, 
different markets you know i thought like people my war market like my mom my sisters all those type of people who follow my circle i can be able to like convince people in the outside to buy stuff but it's a totally different ball game which i was not ready for um i was so naive bro that i thought like putting up a great website and whatever it's going to attract customers but there's so much to it which i didn't know at the time and um yeah man it's just a lot of uh inexperience i think that's what it is you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah hey Oof, that's a big one yeah audience members man what do you th- think of that one <laughs> you know that's tough bro all right, man, let's get into the business tip let's of the week. Let's get into the business tip, bro. Let's do it. Uh, all right, so for this one, uh, I actually want to keep it a little bit more simple, um, less tactical. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is actually on mindset. And speaking of fuck-ups, um, I want to talk about uh, the mindset behind fuck-ups. You know, a lot of times fuck-ups happen, and it's important to know and to notice that you are not your fuck-ups and you are not your business. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, a lot of times it's going to happen, but having the non-romantic side of it on being a practical mind, you have to realize that I'm not my fuck up. This happens. It sucks. Mm-hmm. Now what are the solutions? You know, and it's, a, and it's very important not to um, personalize your losses or else you can get wiped right the fuck out, you know, swept into the water um with the fuck up that happens you know Mm -hmm. it's better to ground yourself sit in it realize it sucks and keep moving forward Mm -hmm. just because there's going to be losses there's going to be wins there's going to be uh people who betray you but it's important not to take it personal you know so the people who are going to quit on you Mm -hmm. people who are just trust without a doubt without a doubt you know um and it's very important not to take it personal um Mm -hmm. so that's my business tip of the week you know, keep a level head. Don't take it personal. Mm-hmm. And don't, um, I'm missing a word. Internalize is the yeah. word. Do not internalize your business or the fuck ups that come with it. Mm-hmm. That's the business tip of the week, guys. That's the business tip of the week, man. Yes. So now we move on to our next segment, which is Hustle Nation. Mm-hmm. So Hustle Nation, listen up. It's Mr. Hustle Muscle over here, Owen Osende. And today's Hustle Nation message is fulfilling your own needs, right? One of the biggest things that I got away from Marsha's podcast is filling in the gaps with the things that you see missing and actually doing something about it. So you learn from this story how Marsha came back from the city. She did not see this particular event and wanted to do something about it. So she made it happen. A lot of the times we see things that are missing in the market, are missing in society. And, you know, we want to do something. We want to partake in it, but no one is doing something about it. See those moments as an opportunity to take action and to be the change agent to make it happen. All you just got to do is just get the ball rolling and just take that chance to make it happen. I guarantee you when you see something is missing, if it's a product or service or an event or a group or a particular community, take the initiative to start making it happen. You don't have to have a big thing from the get-go, but all you just need to do is get started and you need one person who thinks the same as you to join you on that journey and 
over time, you're going to attract like-minded people. So going into this week, fulfill your own needs. If it's a little community on Instagram or if it's a meetup to meetup group that you see that's missing, start it. There's a bunch of people who also feel the same way, but they might not have the courage to do so. But I challenge you, if you feel like that, take that first step and make it happen because you can change a lot of lives like the way Marsha has with her events, which you're going to hear in this episode. So enjoy this episode and take a chance at what you believe in. And that's a hustle nation nation message of the week. Housekeeping announcements. Let's get into them. To support the podcast, here are your options. For free, if you're on Apple, make sure you rate and review the podcast. It makes a huge difference. If you're on Spotify, follow us and hit download. If you're on Google Play, hit subscribe and auto-download so you'll be notified and have a fresh pod ready to go. On Twitter, make sure to follow us at 247Hustlers. On Instagram, make sure to follow us at 247Hustler. On Facebook, we're hustle over everything. Also, on our website, make sure to check out our email newsletter. It's called the 24-7 Hustle, which covers news in business, music, and culture, all through the lens of entrepreneurship. Hit the link below to support us. Our Proud to Pay program is in the podcast description below. We appreciate any support. And let's get back into the show. So, Marsha, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm super excited to chat with you guys today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like uh, we know like the type of platform you're creating for the city and uh, bringing all entrepreneurs together and like just being vulnerable and sharing their stories together so, you know, we can learn from each other and uh, making failure not such a bad thing because, you know, failure is like one step closer towards success. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Let's, let's jump right into it. Um, I would love to know about your story um, in Tel Aviv. Uh, could you break down what we were doing over there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like I went through maybe what some people would call a quarter life crisis. Mm. So when I was 25, I was working in Toronto, um, really um, safe corporate job, um, working in PR and marketing. And mm. I was at that company for about three years. I really loved it. I was doing great work. I had gotten promoted. I had an awesome team, um, but I felt like I was kind of stagnating. Um, just in general, I felt like I, I wanted to do something completely different. I was becoming really passionate about tech and startups, and I just wanted to experience something totally different. So I came across this program in Israel called Career Israel, uh, where you're able to match with a company in whatever industry you're interested in and have an experience uh, working, living abroad, and traveling through the country. And it was exactly what I wanted to do. Um, And a regret regret that I kind of had in university um, was not going on exchange. A lot of my good friends had gone and it was really like the time of their life. And they felt like they learned so much in that experience. Mm -hmm. So I found something that kind of helped me meet a lot of my goals um, to move my career forward in a new direction, um, to experience living in a new place, to experience a different culture and to just like absolutely step out of my comfort zone. 
So I went for it. People thought I was absolutely crazy to leave such a safe and awesome job behind at home. But I just thought that I would take a risk and try something totally different and step out of my comfort zone. So that was sort of the reasoning for going. And while I was there, I was working for a startup. I was employee number six, uh, which was a huge change from, you know, working in a large corporate environment. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was the coolest thing ever. I absolutely loved it. I got to really wear a lot of different hats. I was specialized in content marketing and growth marketing. Um, But since the company was so small, I really got to understand um, product and quality testing and uh, like really working with all sides of the company and working really closely with um, with the founders of the company as well, mm. which was a super cool experience. And while I was in Tel Aviv, I found myself going out to a lot of different um, events and meetups and became parts of different communities there. And that was sort of my foray into this whole world. Which startup was that? So the startup was called Veedme. Um, it was in the video marketing space. They created a marketplace for videographers to meet marketers and to have um, sort of a portfolio of priced examples and then to be able to kind of match on there. And then um, if they were to move forward with a project to kind of um, do everything within that platform, price it out, all the communication, and then the payment would happen through there. And actually later when I got back to Toronto, um, I think about a year later or so, the company was actually acquired by Fiverr. Um, So now it's part of Fiverr in their their pro division. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's really cool. We both have experience in the startup space. You know, um, for me, I was at a company that did an AI for Facebook ads. And it was such an experience. You really got to see everything from the CEOs to the um, developers to um, the high-end or, I guess, high-level marketers. And really just experience everyone working together in such a small space, you know. You learn so much more, I think, in that kind of environment. Most definitely, most definitely. You wear a lot of hats. Yeah, All the time. Most definitely, you know. You learn so much more, I think, in that kind of environment. Most definitely, most definitely. You wear a lot of hats Yeah, all the time. Most definitely. Um, So when did you come back to Toronto? So I came back. So I was there in total for about a year. Um, Mm -hmm. I came back uh, right at the end of 2016. Mm -hmm. Uh, like late fall of 2016. Mm -hmm. How is it like experiencing like uh, Israeli culture and being in Tel Aviv? Like, how's it like being there? How's the city like? Because we hear like the startup scene is booming in Tel Aviv and no one really talks about it unless people have been there and they come back and they tell us how amazing Tel Aviv is. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are really surprised to hear of, you know, like some of some really well-known companies that are based there or that started Mm -hmm. in Israel. Um, Tel Aviv and, you know, Israel in general is really known as startup nation. Um, It's a place that's super innovative and moves really fast and people work hard, but they play really hard too. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really, it's like right behind or right on par with Silicon Valley in terms of like number of startups per capita. Um, there's some huge companies that have come out of there, like Wix is headquartered in Tel Aviv. They have like a a huge set of offices all all across the port. Really beautiful. Uh, Waze was started there, acquired by Mm -hmm. Google. Um, Mm -hmm. Later on, Fiverr is headquartered there. Yeah, I mentioned that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, Monday.com is another uh, really cool one, I think, which a lot of people are surprised at. Um, That's a company that's really booming now. But those are just, you know, those are a few that jump to mind. There's so many others. And it's a really yeah. incredible place if you want to work in tech and really experience an ecosystem like that. Mm-hmm. I would say Toronto is really far behind. I know we're kind of booming too, and it's an exciting place to be, but mm-hmm. you you can't really even compare the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually had an experience with a startup. 
um, in Tel Aviv. And we had to like really like, be smart with our coordination when it came to um, like meetings just because the time is, is backwards yeah. over there. Um, the time so we is different. The, the work week is different too. Um, mm-hmm. So it goes from Sunday to Thursday because uh, Shabbat is um, mm-hmm. the Friday, Saturday. So that's Sabbath. the weekend. So that's different as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say the work culture, it's, it's really incredible. Like I said, like people really hustle and they work hard, but mm-hmm. it's an amazing city to live in. It's very um, international. It's very secular. It, you know, like people for the most part speak English really well. Like it was, you know, language was not really a barrier for me there and it's just it's a cool city to live in like the weather is absolutely beautiful you're like walking distance to the beach um incredible nightlife scene incredible restaurants and just the most amazing people so i I had a blast there it was the time of my life for sure would you go back yeah like any chance i get i've (laughs) I've been back um once so far just on vacation Mm -hmm. but you never know i could see myself kind of living there or doing something longer there again for sure so tell us about that first uh you know fuck up night that you experienced that made you like you know what was that like when you first took that in for you yeah so I went to my first fuck up night when I was living in Tel Aviv Mm -hmm. um I was going out to a lot of different events I was really looking to kind of get immersed into the ecosystem and just meet new people and really experience some of the events that the locals go to So I was going out to a lot of different events. Same thing in Toronto. I was pretty active in terms of going out to networking events and different industry events. And after a while, as I'm sure you guys probably agree, like they all kind of started to feel the same in some ways. Like whatever the topic was, was people talking about how successful they are and really like sharing the highlight reel or how, you know, they like Mm -hmm. did their project or grew their company or whatever. So like I would still enjoy them, but it just, you know, it started feeling almost repetitive. And Fuck Up Nice just kind of popped up on my Facebook um, name, definitely caught my eye. And then yeah. I read into it and I was like, this is really cool. Like, this is different. Um, I'll check it out. I honestly, I had no expectations. Just like, you know, this could suck. Like, mm-hmm. it really depends on how it's executed. Mm-hmm. And I went to it and I was really blown away. I think that was the first time that I saw something like I didn't know the word community. I didn't even know what that was, but it just like, it didn't feel like a networking event to me. It felt like people were a lot more genuine and especially after having heard the stories, like super mm-hmm. successful people sharing their biggest fuck ups and the darkest parts of their journeys. Um, I think it just brings people's guards down. So it didn't feel like a transactional sort of networking thing. It felt like, you know, people were really just being um, like really authentic and just sharing their true stories and asking really good questions. So yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And it was just so refreshing in so many different ways, like in terms of the content and then the people that were there and the community that was there. Mm-hmm. Did you like uh, share any stories yourself? Like, was there one where like the audience can come in and share their stories or was it like an open uh, thing for audience to hop in? There was, so there was an opportunity for Q and A and, you know, some people kind of jumped in and kind of shared a little bit of their own experience. Mm -hmm. It was really more during the networking. um, And that was actually something that I've integrated over time into our events in Toronto, really giving people an opportunity to share their stories Mm -hmm. um, at our events. And then in in terms of um, our social media and virtual things that we do as well. Solid, solid, solid. Curious, was there any uh, fuck up that stuck out to you that uh, inspired you specifically or um yeah is the top of your mind um yeah you know what I get this question a lot people ask me like what's your biggest fuck up or (laughs) what was the fuck up that you had that kind of inspired (laughs) you to start it not necessarily Mm -hmm. yours one that you heard that was inspiring for you 
Oh, I see. Okay. So at that event, the one that I went to in Tel Aviv, Mm -hmm. um, I remember one of the speakers, he had a very successful career. You know, he, he worked in LinkedIn and he, I think he worked in LinkedIn Israel and he was in charge of kind of building it out in in parts of Europe as well, Mm -hmm. just doing a ton of traveling and had this great like online presence. You would never think that a person like that has ever fucked up Mm because everything just looked so polished. And the way that he told his story, he just like totally took the filters off. And he was like, listen, like I almost failed out of high school. He, I think he did fail out of university and he, he really had to hustle to even get that sort of role. And he, he's been fired a few times and past roles. And like, you would never think looking at somebody's um, like that LinkedIn or, or their social profiles. So mm-hmm. I think just like a story like that, it just opened my eyes that the more successful somebody looks, a lot of the time, the more risks they kind of had to take and, you know, the struggles they had to overcome to actually get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing I always realized as well, too. Like, there's a lot of successful people. And uh, this is what actually led us uh, to starting Hustle Over Everything. It's like, I always felt when I read, when I've been reading about entrepreneurship ever since high school and wanting to jump into it, I only saw success, success, success. And I feel like in our generation, especially as like young people, we feel as if being an entrepreneur, it's all about showing success and showing that you've made it. And uh, we look at people that we read about who we, who get profiled and all they say, yeah, we did this and we did that. So it makes you feel as if like you can't really share your, your, your failures and your come up. It's like every time, even, even I caught myself sometimes when I started my first business, someone asked me, Yo, oh, like how's a, it was like a sportswear line I started back in high school. <laughs> And they'll be asked, he's like, hey, how's it going? I was like, man, business is booming. Like, you know, but like literally like I'm struggling to get my merchandise in time. My screen printer is not working. Like all these things that were like just this burning in the background, but I'll just front like as if it's everything is working. And yeah. that's like the culture that's come out of being an entrepreneur. It's like looking successful and not really sharing That's like the thing. Headphones. Like it's like you, you want people to have confidence in you, like your customers, mm-hmm. people that you work with. Um, your team, all of that. But I think what people don't realize is that, you know, you can still be a human and you could still be vulnerable. And I feel like that's going to make people respect you even more Mm -hmm. really showing, you know, yes, like there are struggles and there are fuck ups, but here's what we learned from them. And here's how we're moving forward. I think Mm -hmm. that's so much more valuable than just trying to kind of put on a brave face and, you know, just like hustle through and (laughs) not really show the true side of what's happening or just not even like reaching out for help and engaging Mm -hmm. others and your struggle. Most definitely is the, like you said, the putting on the brave face and not trying to look like you have any chinks in your armor at all, you know, and that kind of shows in hustle culture as well. You know, um, oh, how many hours did you sleep tonight? Oh, I slept two hours. I was (laughs) hustling all night. (laughs) Grinding all night, man. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And and, then that's just not humanly possible to sustain, you know, Um, things like that, that aren't always i guess uh looked upon as a successful like, method to work when in real life it's nowhere close to what anybody really does no you know? like you don't want to be hustling just for the sake of hustling you have mm-hmm. to really hustle smart and i think there's you know there's seasons in everybody's life and especially as an entrepreneur of mm-hmm. course you have to hustle and you have to be kind of willing to work when other people aren't mm-hmm. but i think there's seasons where you really have to give yourself a chance to unwind and you know, have a lot more balance in your life because it's it's not sustainable to just always be hustling. Most definitely. Absolutely. So you go to this hustle event. I mean, sorry, the hustle event. <laughs> this uh, fuck up night <laughs> event. Up night. Um, and you come back 
to Toronto. Is, how fast do you get started on the event series? Um, it was a few months. So I went to the event, I believe it was like end of July or early August. Mm-hmm. And then I came back to Toronto in the late fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and those first few months were kind of a weird time in my life where I guess it's a big transition, like going from, mm-hmm. you know, living in a totally different place, country, um, yeah. totally different country, being with a different group of friends, being immersed in a new culture, mm-hmm. um, to then just come back sort of to your old life and, yeah. you know, move back in. Like I moved back in with my parents and I was really mm-hmm. just like searching for my next step. Um, figuring out what my next role was going to be, what I wanted to do. And because it was kind of close to the holidays, um, it was tough. Like I was pretty picky with what I was looking for in terms of my next role. And it was just like moving really slowly. Um, I wasn't having a lot of luck and I just kind of started to feel like a failure myself in some ways. I started questioning um, a, like my decision to come back Mm because I had really awesome opportunities in Tel Aviv and I was kind of close to staying there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started questioning, should I have gone in the first place? Like all the stuff starts going through your mind when, you should know, have come back, you're saying, or should I have gone to Tel Aviv in the first place? Both. Like, for it, yeah, like a little bit oh. of both. I mostly <laughs> like I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of stuff going through my head and mm-hmm. it was just tough getting back, like readjusted again. And I've had this conversation, you know, with other people that have had this type of experience, you know, living mm-hmm. abroad and then coming back to, um, sort of your old life. And it's, it's weird. Like it, it takes time to adjust. So anyways, all of this was happening. I was trying to find my next job, was trying to Mm. figure out my next step. Again, was going out to a lot of different networking events and all of that. And again, they started to feel the same to me. Um, And I just remembered fuck up nights. Um, It just came back to mind. And I was like, oh, like it would be so awesome to go to a fuck up nights event and just feel like I'm part of that type of community where there's other people who are talking about failure, who are maybe looking for their next step, Mm. not sure if they belong. Um, So I started looking for it. I knew that it was a global um, thing. I knew it was in a bunch of countries and cities. And I was really shocked to find that it wasn't in Toronto yet. It was already like Ottawa had a chapter, Vancouver had a chapter, um, some like random small cities across the country had it, but somehow Toronto didn't. Um, And at that point, I was like, okay, like I saw an opportunity to do it because I felt like I kind of had nothing to lose. And I just, I felt really passionate about it. And I felt like Toronto needed it. Mm. So, yeah, that's kind of when I started looking into how can I start it and how can I bring it here? It's as if it was like meant to be for you. I mean, like you go to Tel Aviv, you get inspired, you come back to Toronto, there's no one doing it. Yeah. And like it just meant like as if it was meant for you to like make it happen. And so far you've been successful at it with like the fuck a nice T.O. I really, I do feel like it was kind of meant for me in a lot of ways. And it wasn't like I kind of glazed over it like um it wasn't that easy to kind of like get the license and to start doing it in Toronto. The license was actually sitting with um, with somebody else within an organization. They were going to launch it as part of their company. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of follow-up. They were just kind of sitting on it. They weren't sure if it was going to be the right thing for their brand. Mm-hmm. So I followed up like several times. I think the whole process took over a month, like a lot of different interviews and conversations. And then mm-hmm. finally it kind of like the timing was just right. Like that company decided it, it wasn't the right thing for, for their brand. And they had let go of it. And I was sort of the person that was like very interested in it, had the right experience to kind of um, like even think about launching something like this. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, like the timing really worked out. That's very interesting. You know, you rarely do you hear about event series that um, have licensing agreements that go behind them. What was the process of getting that license in terms of like, do you have, do you have to apply to the fuck up nights, I guess, head office or something like that? Um, is, are, is it based in Israel? 
as well? No. So it's actually, so it started in Mexico City. Um, That's where the HQ is. Um, It has a huge presence across Mexico and just across Latin America in general. Um, So yeah, the HQ sits in Mexico City. Um, And it's actually, it's more popular than you would think. Like some other events, like Creative Mornings is another very popular event series that has a global footprint. And same thing, like they have a global HQ that's in New York and a bunch of local chapters. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Startup Grind is another example. Um, There's quite a few of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, basically the process was like, I had to get in touch with HQ to kind of apply for it and then to have a few conversations with different people on their team. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of, you know, chat about what my vision for it is in the city, what my first steps would be to launch it, what types of partners I'd be able to engage. Um, yeah, all of that fun stuff. So like how, so you got like the, the licensing, talk to us about like launching your first event, because this is something new to you. Uh, you've never done it before. So how's that like setting up the first event and what did you do to get the word out and get the team around you to really make it happen? Yeah, really good question. Um, so I've like before this, I had zero event planning experience. I've never done events, but I did come from a marketing business and PR background. So that was super helpful in terms of actually like marketing the event and um, like a lot of things that went along with it. That background was super helpful. Um, the first like most important thing with any event is finding a venue for it. Um, well, this is obviously pre-COVID, um, <laughs> but yeah, finding a, a venue that's going to host it. Mm-hmm. So at first, my I, my vision for it wasn't that big. Like for the first event, I, I thought I would just kind of keep it really intimate. I, I was going to work with um, just an agency that had a small office where like 20 to 30 people could attend. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of moving ahead with planning that. And then just something kind of clicked in me where I thought this is really different. I think people are going to crave this and that's really going to resonate. Mm-hmm. So I think I should find something bigger and also just like with a more um, well-known kind of reputable name. So I ended up approaching DMZ, um, which is an, ex- oh. an accelerator here in Toronto. Yes, um, indeed. We're both from Ryerson. So we know from Ryerson. Yeah. That's part of in like case somebody's listening so. who's not in Toronto. Yeah, you never yeah. know. <laughs> yes, um, definitely. For the audience, that's Digital Media Zone, um, a part of Ryerson. They're amazing. Our very first partner. They're so great. But yeah, mm-hmm. so we ended up hosting the first event in that space. So I went from, you know, thinking that this was going to be an event with like 20 people, just like maybe like my parents and some close friends yeah. to now having to sell out an event, that, a space that holds over 100. So that was the first thing. Finding speakers was definitely a challenge because okay. it, it was such a new concept, like asking people to go up on stage and share their biggest fuck up in front of 100 mm-hmm. people. Yeah. That's a pretty new concept. For, especially here in Toronto, because there's a su- yeah. superior work culture here of this work and go home, work and go home, yeah. maybe party, work and yeah. go home, work and go home, maybe party, yeah. you know? <laughs> so to sell that here, I think is a lot more challenging than people might assume. Yeah, it was kind of, and it was just like a lot of it just seemed kind of taboo. Like the name was like edgy, not what people are used to. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole concept of sharing failure, people were very conservative about it, I would say like three years ago. Um, and that's definitely changing. Um, so yeah, just like convincing people to actually speak at this thing and finding people who have really good stories who are going to be vulnerable and have good lessons that they could share. That was a challenge. And then, yeah, like getting the word out about the event, um, kind of the name is definitely a double-edged sword. It draws attention, like it, Mm. it captures people's attention, but you can't do any sponsored posts or any advertising because it just gets blocked. 
um, mm. because of the profanity in the name. So I couldn't rely on that. I, it was all organic through PR, through marketing. And truly, like, I really hustled for like a month to actually sell that event. Any event where I could go, where I could pitch it. Mm-hmm. Um, like TechTO has an opportunity to make an announcement. I, I did that. I was like terrified of public speaking at that point, but I did it. Um, Creative mm-hmm. Mornings, I also had an opportunity to make an announcement. I found like any related Facebook group um, that, you know, had like entrepreneurs in it, young professionals. I'd post them there. I'd message people individually. Like I truly hustled and, you know, looked for PR opportunities, looked for different marketing opportunities. So let's break that down. You said for free, basically, you can make an announcement on their platform. Uh, no, at their event. At their um, event. So at, 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 event. at TechTO, um, okay, break it down. at their when they had in-person events, um, mm-hmm. there was there's always an opportunity at the beginning to make like a 15 second pitch. Literally anybody in the oh, audience can put up their hand. Oh, and okay. The host comes up to you with the microphone and you have 15 seconds to, um, to, to go up and the say pitch. whatever you want. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. So for the audience members, if you're thinking about marketing your event, you can look at other platforms, other events that have space before the event for that 15 second pitch where you can speak to a large audience to get people to come to your event. Exactly. Yeah, there was like 700 mm-hmm. people there. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Very interesting. Smart so, tactic, smart tactic. Yeah, very, very smart. Uh, so like you launched the event. How's the event? Like how's that like that whole rapid movement, people coming in uh, and actually seeing that like for yourself, like seeing people like enjoying the event. Like how is that? Hold on, hold on. Before you, before you get there, before you get there. I, <laughs> sorry okay, to cut, cut in. And for the venue, um, you said you had a small budget, right? So what were the things you did to make the most out of the small budget when you're booking the event? Um, so, you know, offering things like refreshments. So we had, um, beer at the event, we had pizza mm-hmm. at the event. So that's where, you know, some of that budget went, um, t-shirts for the volunteers, all the little things. It was really like very tiny. Like it was really just from like selling those $10 tickets. Nice. Ah, oh, so basically you did the, like a pre-sale for the event and got the $10 from everybody. And then with the money, you then went and bought the t-shirts, the refreshments, and all the necessities for the event. So you could then have everything go. So the budget was actually gotten, you got yeah, the Yeah, so before. a lot of the stuff I kind of like, I prepaid, like I invested in like paying for a license to be able to run this type of event, um, okay. to pay for that, and then also any expenses that I've had. And then I was able to kind of pay myself back through the ticket sales. Ah, uh, okay, 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 okay. Nice, nice, interesting, nice. interesting. This so like the audience members can get some like <laughs> some insight. Nuance. Yeah, it's a yeah, nuance because yeah, yeah. there's a lot that thing of that goes um unknown. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, because a lot so, of people look at events and they think it's just like get people to come, but there's so many yeah. like things that there's like, a lot of moving there's pieces. There's a lot of things that sure. go into it. Yeah. yeah, a lot of moving pieces. Um, okay. So for the license, was it an expensive license? So is it is there a lot of barrier to entry to get into something like that? So at the beginning, when I joined, um, Fuck Up Nights was, it was still fairly new and they were just kind of trying to grow their footprint across mm-hmm. as many cities. Mm-hmm. So the license was super affordable. Um, over time, it has gone up in price um, mm-hmm. just to kind of sustain their operations at the HQ level. Makes sense. Absolutely. The demand grows, so does the price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got you. Okay, cool. So, so now I think we have like a good base. You have a good base forward. to go. Yeah, like yeah. someone can actually, okay, that's how she did it. So you get all these things in place, uh, Marsha. So what, what's next? Um, how do you get volunteers? How do you, 
pay these volunteers because it, it can't just be like a one woman show you need like a squad behind you so how is that like <laughs> mm-hmm. getting people to help you and actually executing the event yeah so the first event um i did all the heavy lifting in terms of planning marketing um all the stuff that kind of went into it like pre-event and then Mm. for the volunteers for the night of the event it was actually a lot of my close friends or um, colleagues that i've worked with in the past Um, i did post about it in an entrepreneurial group on facebook and one of my volunteers came from there um and like he he joined the team since day one and he's still part of the team um so he's stuck with it and he's really contributed in so many cool ways yeah patrick hey patrick yeah actually and then a couple of my really close friends um they've stuck around with it too since that first event they're still part of the team um and they've taken on different roles with it and really helped to um to grow it and to to really build our community and then mm. from that first event a lot of our volunteers started coming from people in the audience um people that would come out to the event who would attend it and who just really resonated with it and wanted to help us grow it mm-hmm. i haven't gotten a chance to go to it but at first firstly i really do want to go and i imagine it being a very therapeutic experience you know because in the work world there's a linkedin type of mentality of i need to be a walking linkedin profile you know what i'm saying exactly mm -hmm. and being um super professional and not having anybody know my mistakes i can't hide these because if anybody knows i could possibly get fired um and have my career ruined right so i imagine um there's a strong therapeutic experience is is that right um making that assumption a lot of people say that um they feel like you know it was the fr- like just like when i went to it for the first time it was so mm-hmm. different for me i've never seen people share stories of failure before mm-hmm. and it was very refreshing mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of approached me afterwards and they're like you know i really needed to hear what that speaker said it really mm-hmm. you know resonated with what i'm going through it made me kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel of the struggle that i'm going through mm-hmm. and then for a lot of speakers as well um i think especially for speakers because a lot of them are like sharing that story for the first time Mm. they look super successful and polished on the outside and mm-hmm. you know like we've had really like well-known amazing entrepreneurs share their stories and it was honestly the first time that they share their fuck-ups and it's a very cathartic experience because it's you know they feel like they they were almost kind of able to let it go and just know that it was like for such a good cause and they helped the community of people learn from from their mistakes so that you know on their own journey they could at least avoid some of those mistakes awesome awesome uh, I was gonna. Do you feel as if uh, people in Toronto are more conservative with sharing their failures? Because in other communities, like in Silicon Valley, uh, they're very open with just the fail fast mentality. Uh, if you can contrast like communities in like Israel, uh, San Francisco, and Toronto, is that right in making that assumption as well? Like Toronto has a more conservative like yeah, definitely. It? I think you know, especially in Silicon Valley, like that's like a hub for, for startups and for tech and, you know, mm-hmm. to really like for something like that to grow, there's, there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of innovation. And with that, obviously there comes a lot of failure. They've just mm-hmm. been at it for much longer than us here. So I think that kind of culture is developed over time there. It's almost, it's kind of like celebrated in a way where, you know, you've had a failure, but you were able to move on from it. A lot of investors even, 
they want to see that you've had another startup or something under your belt where, you know, you're not fucking up with, with their money. You're not a rookie. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like you've yeah. been able to learn from past experiences. So I think there is just more normalized. Like it's just a, it's a bigger community. It's, it's been around for much longer and something like that is just more ingrained. Mm-hmm. It's been really cool to see that kind of perception almost shift in the last three years in Toronto. And I really do believe that fuck up nights is a huge catalyst for it because you know, the brand has really grown our community has grown. And I think it's gotten a lot of people to look at failure in a new light. It's impacted a lot of um, companies internally, you know, like some of them have introduced things like fuck up Fridays where they kind of go around and all the employees kind of um, share their learnings from the week. Like it's just becoming more and more normalized. But I think when I was starting it like over three years ago now, it was a very conservative, conservative culture because you know, our tech ecosystem was really growing during that time. Um, and just people weren't really exposed to it. Most definitely. With the first event then, could you walk us through how that went? What fuck-ups that happened then? Like, I'd love to get some details. <laughs> yeah, there was so, like I said, it was my first time throwing an event. So mm-hmm. definitely a lot of fuck-ups there. Um, I think one of the bigger ones was... Um, in terms of the volunteer team, I didn't really have roles for the volunteer team. I was like, you know, just come to the venue, um, 6 PM or whatever it was. And we'll just like figure out what needs to get done. I was mm-hmm. so focused on like marketing the event, making sure the speakers are ready to go, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think we just like, we didn't really leave ourselves enough time to actually like properly set up. Like it was very rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, our check-in process was kind of, I ended up like printing off everybody's names where it would have just been so much easier to like use the mobile app from Eventbrite. And that was like a very quick lesson and obviously something we implemented for the second event. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just like wasn't structured with any roles and people really had to just figure things out on the fly and it made for a very hectic um, setup. Mm-hmm. But the good thing with, with that is that, you know, like as an event attendee, as an audience member, you don't really see it. Like you're more focused on kind of your own experience there and what the content of the event is. And as long as, you know, there's great beer and, and food and all of that stuff. You don't really um, yeah, another like smaller fuck up, like something that we started implementing, I think second or third event, uh, we only had like beer as the refreshment option because that's sort of that goes with the brand of fuck up nights. Like it's very yeah. chill and, you know, but then there were people who are gluten free and, mm. you know, they come to an event where there's pizza and beer and, you know, there's yeah. no option for them. <laughs> so that was kind of a fuck up, like just didn't even think of that. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there were a lot of like smaller ones as well, but mm-hmm. overall, I think I'm so proud of how it went and just like the impact that it made and how it resonated with people. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. What are some of the roles that volunteers or this you'd have to like set out? Cause you don't even think about that. When I think of throwing an event, I don't think of roles at all. I just think of market it, fill a room, you know? Yeah. I like, I became like hyper organized <laughs> with it. I think starting with the second event. So having somebody who's sort of a lead volunteer, who's who kind of knows what everybody else should be doing, who can really help direct people, especially any mm-hmm. new volunteers that are joining. Mm-hmm. Um, you need people at check-in. You need people at like any station that you have. Like even if, you know, like say there's a food station, like not like actually serving the food, but just kind of supervising it. Mm-hmm. Um, you need dedicated people for setup. You need somebody who's going to lead the teardown. Um, 
all mm. kinds of things like somebody especially for social media that's a whole other thing like yeah. somebody should be running your instagram live somebody should be doing your twitter um if you're doing live streaming anywhere like you need a separate person for each of those things Damn, so I kind of think thinking through all of it and i'm sure there's definitely more that i'm missing but yeah. really just yeah. making sure that every like single thing that's happening at the event is taken care of even covered, as little yeah. as like if you have speakers like you need somebody who's potentially like timing their talks if you have a certain time mm. limit um yeah, somebody for the Q&A to run around with the microphone. Like that kind of stuff needs to be decided ahead of time because if it's not, then it, it gets really hectic. Yeah, it's the little things that make the event run smooth. It's like the difference yeah. between good to great is like the little things that make exactly. it happen. Yeah. yeah. Most definitely. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, go ahead, Owen. Yeah, so like when you did that first event, how many people showed up to the event? Like, do you remember the count of the people that showed up? And yeah, from, so yeah, the capacity of that space is a hundred. Um, so we sold a little bit over a hundred, just knowing that there's a drop off. Um, but it, it actually sold out because last minute that we were able to get a, C, um, a CBC interview, I think, on the radio. And actually, that was a funny fuck up. I totally forgot to mention that. So we got this great piece of PR. They interviewed one of the speakers. They promoted the series. And then they failed to mention that you have to register for this event. Like the host of the show was like, oh, it's tonight. Just show up at this time to the DMC. <laughs> so there was like tons of people that came who like heard about it. And they're like, yeah, the host said to just show up. And it was already sold out. And it was like past capacity. And yeah. we had to make a decision, like either like we just like let these people in, let them pay at the door, but then it's going to be overcrowded. And, you know, people that did register ahead of time, they're not going to have the best experience because in terms of like food and the beer and all the stuff that we had, number of chairs, like it was meant for that capacity of people. Mm -hmm. So it was really tough. Like we had to turn quite a few people away at the door and, you know, the volunteers kind of tried to put together a wait list system to see how many people actually signed in, if, like mm -hmm. what it looked like in terms of like extra chairs and stuff, but there were like quite a few people that we had to turn away. But it was actually, it was really cool to see that it, you know, it sold out and it resonated that much because mm -hmm. leading up to it, um, people really waited until the last minute to buy tickets and I was getting kind of worried. Mm -hmm. um, but then just like a few days before it just like it went so quickly. That's amazing. That's like amazing, the yeah. best problem to have. Yeah, I know. Um, it was awesome. It just shows um, you how people were eager to like have something yeah. like this happen in the city. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Um, so any advice on getting press for an event? Um, yeah, really good question. Um, I think your event has to be something that's unique. Mm -hmm. Um, it really, like, you have to have some kind of story angle there. It can't, mm -hmm. you know, if you're just like hosting, I don't know, an event about, um, Facebook marketing or something like that, like that's not <laughs> going to be super exciting it's too, it's too you basic. Know, for press, mm -hmm, but yeah. something like fuck up nights where, you know, people are going to be sharing failure for the first time, like that definitely catches attention. Mm -hmm. um so i think really just like trying to shape a story that's going to be interesting and that's going to resonate with um either the listeners or the readers or, or mm -hmm. whatever it is of the publication mm -hmm. and really like approaching it in a way where like this is why your readers or your audience is going to be interested in this um here are, like um the key things to know about it here's who's speaking um and really just like trying to shape a story around it i think is what's going to set it apart most definitely. Nice, do you nice, nice. Do you have a specific press kit that you were using um, that you had to send out to different publications or like a pitch deck or something like that? Or was it <laughs> now, just strictly just messages? Now I do. At the time, yeah. it was, I honestly, I was just, I had so much on my plate. Um, I didn't really have anything that official. It was more just, you know, 
um, doing pitches, um, just it's, reaching out over email. Um, yeah. Just hustling. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It doesn't a have lot to of be people, perfect. You have to just go for it. Yeah. A lot mm-hmm. of people struggle reaching out to press. It's like you're crafting the right message and uh, you spend, you spend time like drawing up so many drafts of a message yeah. that is going to reach out to that person. But um, what do you think really gets a, like someone who's like a writer or someone in the media's attention to really respond and actually write about you. Uh, it could be not like you've been in, you've worked with the media a yeah. lot now, I'm sure. Um, it could be outside of fuck up nice TO, but what are some key things that people listening, if they want to reach out to the media for their business that they can implement in talking out to the press, maybe before reaching out to them and after uh, reaching out to them. Yeah. Okay. So one thing like people are not gonna like this but it's like the very blunt truth Mm -hmm. um the media does not care about you just existing yeah like it's you're not gonna get press just for existing as a startup or as an event or or whatever you have to have something that's new newsworthy and something that's gonna set you apart and that's different and something that has a story and you know if you don't that's totally fine it doesn't mean that your event or your startup doesn't have value it just it, pr might not be the right avenue for you but i think the way to capture um a reporter's attention is really having something that's newsworthy something that's very different you know with a startup have you launched something new um are you capturing a new market you know something like that just something that's you know happening and something that's different that's what's going to set you apart Solid, solid, solid. Differentiating yourself Differentiating. from the masses. Yeah, I remember trying to reach out to press early on when we launched Sneaker Deck, and you know we we're launching this things like, man, this guy loves sneakers. We were building a marketplace mm-hmm. back then, and we only got like maybe four or five responses out of like the fifty emails we sent, yeah. and I just like it was like a little bit of a humble pie, but you're not as but that's cool like, as you think. That's actually, I would see that as successful in terms of PR. Like you're going to get a lot of no's, but like mm-hmm. those like four or five that cared about it, I'm sure you got great stories out of it. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't have did. to get 50. Yeah. Yeah. And Owen, how many people did you follow up with? Uh, you know, the thing is, those are actually some great relationships I have till today. I, I remember I didn't reach out, but I think from one of the people that wrote about us, um, tech vibes i think they still like tech vibes reached out to us and they're yeah, like hey. they rebranded they're called something else now i think yeah yeah and that writer actually left and i just remember him reaching hey i just saw your commercial i think it's amazing uh let me do a feature on you and your founders i you know the funny thing is i used to like read tech vibes and i read about all these entrepreneurs like damn like it'd be yeah. amazing being on tech vibes and then <laughs> i was actually just in school walking the hall and I get an email, Tech Vibes TO sneaker deck. I was like, what? That's and then so I, awesome. I know it's just crazy when you think about things yeah. like that over and over and it happens. Yeah. When you least expect it was just, uh, it, was, it was a great time. I will say with Fuck Up Nights nice Toronto, it looked like we have a lot of PR now, but it took a, it took a lot of time. For that first event, yeah, there was that one radio piece. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, it was kind of, it was crickets. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really took a year to actually start getting, you know, like significant PR. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of pitching throughout the year. Like I pitched to Tech Vibes, I pitched to Beta Kit. No one cared about it until it was like, a year I think when people found that exciting was when we were having our one year anniversary event and it was a much larger scale event we had a concert that went along with it we had four pretty prominent speakers um a couple of them were really well known in the tech world which that was something that captured the attention of beta kit and tech vibes yeah. because 
that was speaking to their audience. And there was a story there. It was, you know, like celebrating a year of failure in Toronto. Like I had some interesting um, pitches for them and I had some angles and I had ideas for the story before it was, you know, they didn't care that we were having volume five of fuck up nights, you know, in mm-hmm. September, like it's not exciting. It's, it's not that interesting. So I think just kind of really like, being honest with yourself and thinking like, do I actually have a story here? Is this newsworthy? And when it is like, when you can answer to yourself that like, yeah, like this is something really different and it's worth covering. And I have an idea for something to pitch, then you should go ahead with it. Otherwise you're just kind of, you're wasting your own time and you're wasting that reporter's time. And then if you actually do have something exciting to pitch down the line, they, you know, you might've already created a bad impression Mm -hmm. with them from before. Nice. So, Going back to like the first event, um, launching your second Fuck Up Nights TO, uh, what things did you do differently uh, from the first one uh, to the second one? Um, yeah, a lot of things. Um, one was, so again, venue was the most important thing. Love DMZ, but we like clearly grew out of that space from that first event. Um, so a really pivotal thing for Fuck Up Nights was actually partnering with Shopify for the mm-hmm. second event. So that was like a dream partnership for me. And to be able to host it in that space was really amazing. And we were able to grow into a bigger space there. Um, yeah. So that was one thing. And then also just working really closely with the Shopify team to really, because I think like when I was organizing the first event, I didn't realize that I was building a community. I was mm-hmm. so focused on just creating an event and executing it. Mm-hmm. I think that partnership with Shopify and, you know, like putting a team together and all the stuff, it really helped me see it in a different light and really try to like to really understand that it's is bigger than just an event series. There is actually going to be a community of people here. So working with the community team at Shopify was very pivotal, like learning very quickly about community, um, working with them to actually um, find really awesome speakers from within their ecosystem. That was another huge thing. Um, but I think building out a team was really key as well. Um, and that was kind of, that was one, one of my fuck ups, like I think organizing that entire first event pretty much by myself and then trying to scale a team afterwards. Mm. It, it took me a long time to actually, you know, like, um, delegate properly and yeah, all of that, that went with it. But I think that was a really pivotal moment when I did. Delegating as an entrepreneur is always, it's tough, you know, cause yeah. it's your baby, you know, yeah. you, it's, you're taking like, so much time. And you feel everybody else is going to like uh, mess up your vision if they take control of like certain tasks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely, it's tough. Um, so would you suggest then getting a team before you launch your first event or? Yeah, I would say so. I think it would be super helpful if I had engaged some of those, you know, volunteers that were going to be there for the night of the event to mm-hmm. actually help with certain things leading up to it. You, mm-hmm. They would feel a lot more ownership of it and they would feel like they're more part of it. Uh, most definitely, most definitely. So I'm curious, uh, what's the business model of Fuck Up Nights to you? Yeah, really good question. Um, so I will say this, it's, it's, you know, Fuck Up Nights is not meant to be a business. My goal with it is not to, you know, make the maximum amount, amount of profit. Um, but the, of course, we have to make it sustainable and I have to be able to, you know, sustain live. operations and to live mm-hmm. off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, there's two sort of streams of revenue. One is sponsorship and then the other is ticket sales. And of course, there's a lot of expenses that, that go along with running the event. So you could either see the ticket sales going towards that or the sponsorship. I guess it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's sort of that. Honestly, I've said no to a lot of potential sponsors. Um, because my goal with it at the end of the day is not profit. It's really um, building a community, changing the conversation around failure 
And, you know, I, I don't want to partner with companies that I don't feel are the right fit and that are going to help the community. Mm. So I've definitely been really picky with that. Um, and just really making sure that it's very aligned and they're actually going to drive value for my community and the people that are there. So it's kind of, it's a balance. Are some companies like turned off by the name? Like maybe there's some companies you die to work with, but they're like, no, uh, we don't really like the name and we don't want to be associated <laughs> with vulgar names in a title. Yeah, the name is, is definitely a double-edged sword. Um, so it's, it, it, it doesn't make sponsorship the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. And then also in terms of, you know, advertising it, sponsored posts, can't do any of that. But on the other side, it really attracts the people that are right for the community. So the community members and then also the partners that we work with. I mean, Shopify was an absolutely dream to work with. DMZ was an absolutely a dream. That one was actually, they actually had some pushback because they are part of, you know, Ryerson. There was a bigger approval process to actually allow them to even host in the space. But it was approved and, you know, it was so aligned with, with their whole mission. But there was definitely a period of time where they weren't sure if they were able to move forward with that. Um, but I've really been able to work with my dream company. You know, we've we've partnered with uh, Slack for a special event. Um, Zero is our lead partner, which is um, a cloud-based accounting platform. And that's so well aligned with our community because so many of the fuck-ups that we hear at our events are because of some kind of accounting or cash flow issue that could have been easily avoided if people had just used our platform. Mm-hmm. So that's such an amazing fit. Uh, we worked with Lighthouse Labs. Um, project spaces, like amazing companies. I think the companies that do get kind of turned off by it or, you know, like I've tried to get like a bigger bank on board, Um, even working with like an innovation department in some of the bigger banks and Mm -hmm. they love it. Like so many people from their team come out, they, they have integrated that culture within, but it's very tough to get something like that approved to actually become an official sponsor of it. So that's been tough, but for the most part, it's been amazing. And I've been able to really draw very cool companies to it. Most definitely. Um, So now do you find yourself more on defense when it comes to uh, attracting sponsors or are you still on offense going for the kill every time? (laughs) Good question. I mean, like everything has kind of shifted overnight. Like we're recording this in COVID times. Um, So things have definitely um, changed. Now we've pivoted to doing um, virtual events that are totally free to the community. We're streaming on Facebook Live. Um, So now sponsorships are more important than ever. Um, But Mm -hmm. I really have to redesign how we even go after sponsors. It's a very different um, playing field when when it's online. And it's something that's very new to me, but something Mm -hmm. that I'm really excited about. And I think it's a really cool new challenge. Mm -hmm. So what are the challenges? Yeah. What are the challenges have you faced now, like that we're in this period, um, you know, doing to really still keep that same authentic TO vibe, like bringing community together? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be the same thing. I think, you know, what's really cool about virtual events is that they're way more accessible. Um, People that, you know, maybe before like heard about fuck up nights, but they just, they live outside the city. It's too far of a drive for them or they don't work in the city. Um, They could just never make it out in person. Now Mm -hmm. it's as easy as, you know, sitting down on your couch with your laptop and you could tune in Um, doing the event for free and, you know, streaming it on Facebook live. That also makes it a lot more accessible. Not that our tickets were, you know, overpriced or anything, but Mm -hmm. when it's, you know, when it's just available, in that kind of format, it makes it a lot more accessible to, to people. Um, mm. So there's that, but it's, you know, how do you show that engagement to sponsors? How do you, um, how do you engage companies to participate in it? It's, it's a very new challenge. 
Most definitely. And how do you keep them in, engaged past the event as well? Because before you could always talk to them on, on socials, but then um, you actually, I mean, I guess you could s- still go through socials and just yeah. keep the engagement online. Yeah. I mean, so far, the, you know, the two Facebook live events that we've done, mm-hmm. people were very engaged in the comments and, you know, we had an opportunity for Q and A and people asked really great, thoughtful questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm definitely, it's, it's really top of mind for me. Like, how do I create more of a sort of networking opportunity? Maybe it's opening up, um, like a zoom after the event where there's different breakout rooms or, you know, Facebook is, is launching kind of a competitor to zoom with different mm-hmm. rooms and kind of creating Messenger, a more social yeah. setting. So mm-hmm. maybe doing something like that, maybe experimenting with a totally different platform. I don't know. It's still very new, but it's, you know, it's exciting to be able to experiment with it. Mm. Uh, what are you looking to do now after COVID is over? Uh, what are some new things you're looking to implement into uh, Fuck on Mites TO once that you've had this time to really think things through? And uh, what approach are you really going to bring differently to uh, the actual event event when it's time to launch the next one? Yeah, it's like it's so hard to say when we could even do the next one in mm-hmm. person or what that experience is going to look like. I think I think it's really going to change. Like I think anybody who thinks that things are just going to go back to normal, they're very much mistaken. I think the world has already changed so much, and things are going to be very different. I think events are going to have to be more intimate, and I think there's going to be some kind of hybrid between an in-person experience, um, but then also being able to tune in somewhere on live on, online virtually. So I think there's you know maybe the event now like we were up to around 200 something people we we partnered with shopify for for their new space that they moved into we grew with them a second time um i I don't know when it's going to be okay to bring that number of people together again in a space i could see it being a lot more intimate but then also streaming somewhere online and giving people that are online the opportunity to still feel like they're there and to be able to engage with their questions and you know participate in it in any way that they can but we'll see. I guess time will tell. I guess you have to be very um, adaptive Flexible, and just kind of yeah. go with the flow and yeah, see what the trends are. Definitely. Yeah. Hmm. So it's an interesting time. Go ahead, Owen. Yeah. So I know one of the things that you're really passionate about is community, right? Uh, you know, you're the host of the community podcast. Um, you know, when did this really begin, or is it just a from doing? the fuck on my studio that she became so passionate about building community. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm really fascinated by how people actually become community builders in the first place. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody sets out to become a community builder. Anybody who I know who's also a community builder, they kind of totally like stumbled into it and found it to be their passion as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've gotten to know a lot of other community builders over the time that I've been running Fuck Up Nights. I'm part of a community for community builders, very meta. And I had the idea for this podcast, I would say for over a year now. Um, was just really curious about um, launching it. And my vision for it was really um, to define what community truly means and to focus on the human side of it. Because I think community has become such a buzzword. Um, everybody's mm-hmm. using the word community. I've heard people refer to their email list as a community. I've heard people <laughs> refer to their Instagram following as a community. And I don't think it is at the end of the day. I think a community is, you know, a group of people coming together um, under some kind of, you know, like shared value or shared interest and, you know, really like creating a place where people can belong, whether it's mm-hmm. online or in person. It can be big, it could be small, but it, I think it has to be like truly like connecting with humans and bringing them together. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I just, I really wanted to 
started talking about community from, from that perspective and to really interview people that are amazing community builders to get to know their journeys of how they actually became a community builder in, their, in the first place and then what inspired them to start their own community and how they launched it, how they grew it and, you know, their vision for how they want to take it forward. And then also chatting about their personal community as well. You know, what do their like close friends um, look like? How do they pick those people in their life? What communities are they part of? I think all of that is really fascinating. Hmm. I'm curious. So you said um, an Instagram account cannot, should not be, a, or sorry, could not be, a, is not a community. I just want to get, get clarity on what you said in the beginning of that statement. Yeah, I think, you know, there's people kind of defining um, like an email list as a community or Mm -hmm. an Instagram where they're just posting as a community. I think those those things are more of like a content platform where you're Mm -hmm. you have an audience and you're you're sharing content with them, which is amazing and -hmm. really cool. But it's not fostering a community. I think a community is like a two way dialogue and, you know, like really bringing people together under under a shared purpose. Uh, a lot of people are, are impatient when building a community out, right? Some people might want to build a gym community and they see someone start a community. It's like, you know what? That would be cool to have one. Um, <clears throat> how do you advise people to go? Is there a strategic way of building a community, do you think? Or is it just you let it happen organically? I think the first thing was with starting a community is to just start, like take that first step, look for it. Does it does it exist already? Because if it exists, then maybe there's no need to start it. You can, you can be part of the community that exists and really contribute to it in a meaningful way. Um, but then if you don't find what you're looking for, then that's a great opportunity to start it yourself. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be something as small as, you know, you want to start a book club, um, you know, discussing autobiography books for example with a group of like six people or whatever or it could be something really big it could be you know a new type of event series where you're fostering a new community that has a special interest it could really like it could be any size it could be any interest it could be anything that people are interested about like there's countless communities that you can start but I think the first step is really like just starting and just looking for it and seeing where there is a niche for you to, to kind of start it. And I think it has to come from something that you're really passionate about. I, I don't think it's going to be successful if it's, you know, something that you're just trying to do to like build a business or start for the sake of it. I think the most successful communities are the ones that are started because you have some kind of itch that's like not being scratched by something else that's out there. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, with your podcast, is there a thread that you see continuously throughout guest to guest when it comes to building community? I think a really common thing that I've seen is just like going back to my last point where a lot of them started it out of their own need. Like they Mm. were really searching for something where like they didn't feel like they belonged and they were looking for a community where they could belong and they Mm. weren't finding it. So they decided that they were just going to start it. Um, that has been a very key theme. Ah, uh, okay. Solid, solid. What are some crazy communities that you've had or people that you've had that have like the, <laughs> oh, this is like a cat book club, you know, one of those like <laughs> things you would not think about. <laughs> what are some type of communities that you've had uh, hosted on your podcast? 
Um, one really cool one that jumps to mind, I guess, like something that's that's pretty different. Um, it's called Women Who Weed. Um, that's a woman named Reagan Bradley that runs it. And yeah. it totally came out of her own needs. So she, um, you know, she's a professional. She worked in advertising. She worked in government. Um, very like career focused um but she's had a relationship with with cannabis for a while you know before it was legal and then when it was legalized it was just something that she you know really enjoyed and connected with with friends around it and for her it was sort of almost like wine like it was you know they had great conversations and they didn't fit the stereotype of what people would think when you know you think of like a stoner or especially um a woman who's who's into cannabis so she yeah. was literally looking for a community of, of professional women who um, are cannabis users and she was just not finding it like that community didn't exist she went on reddit um she thought maybe she just wasn't looking for the right for it in the right places so she went on to reddit and what she found was actually really negative messages you know like men being like oh i like the girl but then i found out that she smokes weed and i think that's disgusting or you know like things mm-hmm. like that and she was wow. like no like this is not what it is and i'm gonna create something so she created this thing called women who weed um she started it sort of as like a book club and it has really grown and, and exploded and she has a really mm-hmm. cool vision for it so i definitely check that out so yeah, that's Amazing. sort of what I meant by, you know, when you're not finding something um, that's going to like scratch your itch, like community where you feel like you can belong, that's an opportunity to start it. Um, what do you feel like is the, like the appropriate amount of people to consider yourself a community? Uh, you know, because you can say, yeah, we have a community, but it can be, but to you, you know, you're the community podcast, you know, what is like, when do you actually, what number do you cross where you can actually say, okay, we're actually a community? I mean, that's a tough question because I think like it doesn't have to be big to be considered a yeah. community. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think anything over like just yourself, like, <laughs> just a few people. Because like, think about like if it's like a group with like a shared interest. Mm-hmm. I think like even two or three people, you can consider yourself a community. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Solid, mm-hmm. solid, solid. Well, one question uh, for us, you know, we're trying to grow, build a community. Is there any advice that you give us? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like something that kind of jumps to mind for you guys, you've built an amazing um, following, you've built an amazing audience that's like so into your content and that really resonate with your message of of really hustling and building something. Mm -hmm. I think a way to kind of make it more of a community is really like engaging people in a two-way dialogue. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe like something that like just off the top of my head, like maybe creating like a mastermind group where you know you're breaking out into smaller groups and you're kind of hustling together and you're bringing like resources to to those people but then also like a community of people where they can connect not just like back and forth with you but also with each other and really like have a dialogue and feel like you know they have something in common and they have a place to go okay yeah that's something yeah that's something we uh alex and i talk about yeah we talk about really i think our shared vision is really helping entrepreneurs and uh, helping people who have, because when we classify entrepreneurship, we can say, yeah, people want to look at Mark Zuckerberg or like a Jack Dorsey or these yeah. titans of the industry. But some people just really want to have a side hustle business to really work on after work. And yeah. they want to just feel as if like they have the right group of people to work with and shared yeah. interests. Like, how do you manage a nine to five and build a business? And what kind of resources can we provide those individuals 
to really flourish in that side business yeah. they have to really work towards honestly like it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be anything complicated it could be as simple as like like i'm seeing co-working spaces for example right now there they have to pivot during this time because you know people can't come in and work from from their co-working space i've seen some of them go online and create sort of like a virtual co-working space where literally everybody's just in a zoom room and you have it off to the side and but it kind of it keeps you more accountable because there's like a group of people that you're kind of like working with that are there and that can kind of see you if you get distracted So you can even create something like that where it's just like a group of people hustling together where it's after their nine to five, like maybe you create it from like seven to 8 PM we're together. And then at the beginning, like you guys address them. And then maybe there's a time for everybody to kind of introduce themselves, chat about what they're working on, maybe chat about some of their challenges. And then you have Mm -hmm. that time set aside where it's like, I don't know, you're just like muted and you're all working together. I know that kind of, it might sound silly, but I've seen some co-working spaces and like places do that. And it seems to be like people are into it and it's just another way to kind of not feel like you're alone. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. That's interesting. So many things we can implement. Most definitely. Hustle Nation, what do you think of that idea? Um, mm-hmm. DM us uh, or comment in, in the comments below and let us know what you think. Absolutely. So um, Moving on though, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wrap, working towards wrapping up. You know, um, is there anything you haven't covered, by the way? I think, like, we're covering everything that we have. Uh, one thing we did wanted to know is, with Fuck Up Nights TO, uh, how many events do you do a year uh, here in Toronto? Like, like, what's the duration from one event to the next? How much time do you take off to really launch it? Uh, how does that work? We didn't really ask that because we, people don't know if it's one time a year, if it's quarterly. How does it work? So it's actually, it's a lot more frequent than that. It's at least once a month. Um, Mm. And there's some months where we have two or three if we're exploring a special theme. Um, So with our regular monthly events, um, they're not really themed. Like the whole premise is sharing stories of failure. Um, So we have three speakers from different walks of life, different types of entrepreneurs or professionals sharing their fuck ups. But something that we've experimented with is doing industry specific events. Um, So we've done two advertising themed events where like all the speakers were chief creative officers at agencies. Um, We've Mm -hmm. done a blockchain themed event. We've done a retail themed event. Um, Cannabis most recently, that was one of our first virtual events. Um, So yeah, it's at least once a month, but there's some months where we have um, two or three sometimes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, I was going to, for, to touch up on the events, there's a lot of people who are looking to launch events, um, in the coming years and forever, uh, you're someone who's done it, who's doing it at a professional level now. Um, where like should they start when they really wanna? If you just ha- okay, I have an idea, I want to do this event. Where do I start? What do you do? Uh, like some pointers that they can start off, like that are absolutely crucial for them to be successful with launching an event. Yeah, really good question. Um, I'd say step one, like do your research, see if there's actually a need for it. Like, are you filling a niche that you know? Like you're going to do something different that's not already being done. I think a lot of people kind of skip that step and, you know, they're trying to recreate something that already exists. Mm -hmm. If you see that it exists, why not try to partner with what's already happening and kind of contribute meaningfully in that way. But if you do find a niche and, you know, it's, it's going to be something different then it's going to bring value. Um, I would say like the biggest thing is to build a team. Don't try to do it by yourself. Like that was literally like my biggest fuck up. You need to surround yourself with people that are going to, a, like believe in that vision of the event that you're trying to bring to life, but then also kind of complement your skill set with their own. 
you know, like you, you just need people from, from different, um, like sets of experience that are going to help you bring it to life. Um, and then literally just like, you have to just start, you have to, I think like with an in-person event, um, setting the date and picking the venue are two very key mm -hmm. things. Cause once those two things are in place, then it's like, okay, like it's happening. Like it's like, you have to execute on it. You kind of have no choice. So it kind of like kicks you into gear of like actually doing it and like figuring out all the other steps. Solid, definitely. Um, when people are approaching um, brands, what leverage points do they have to like, negotiate when it comes to a brand? And have you had to negotiate before? Like what, um, how does that process usually go? Um, it really goes back to just bringing value. Like you have to find alignment with the brand that you're trying to approach. Like you really have to be um, like speaking to their audience or, you know, creating an opportunity for them to create with a community or to um, connect with a community that's going to be relevant to their brand. That's like the biggest thing. Cause if you're, you know, just like trying to get a sponsor, but you haven't done your research and you're approaching companies that, you know, have like no relation to your community, you're not going to be super successful. But if you're finding mm. a niche, like, for example, with Fuck Up Nights, like the majority of our community are um, entrepreneurs and young professionals. Mm -hmm. So the people that I, the companies that I partner with, they're either, you know, companies that are kind of in that realm, like Shopify is all about entrepreneurship and encouraging people to take that step to start a business and supporting them through it. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of fuck ups that happen along the way. So it, mm -hmm. that was a natural fit. Um, zero accounting, you know, they're, they're about um, also helping entrepreneurs, helping um, companies not fuck up their accounting and really like wash their cash flow. That was a natural fit. And then something like Lighthouse Labs, that was a great fit for the young professionals in our crowd who are trying to, you know, upgrade their skills and really like not fuck up their professional career. So that's mm -hmm. something that's kind of a way that I approach that, like really finding a very close fit and just like also knowing that I'd be able to help them meet their goals. I, I would never just want to have a sponsor for the sake of having a sponsor. I actually want to be really confident that I'm helping them um, connect with our community, whether their goal is um, like brand awareness, if it's a newer company or maybe talent mm -hmm. acquisition to be able to recruit from within the community, really just like helping them to connect and, and execute on that opportunity. Uh, true. Um, and when you approach a brand, I guess, um, what do you, how do you approach them to get those points out when it comes to what they want um, and meeting that person that is the decision maker in the company? Um, I feel like you probably have that process down pat now, right? Yeah. So can you talk to us about that like, or is it still on a... Yeah, I mean, I've definitely gotten better over at it over <laughs> the years. Yeah. Um, I think like a very key thing is um, trying to either get an introduction, like if there's somebody in your network that knows somebody um that's actually a decision maker or somebody that's like like usually for sponsorships it's going to be somebody on the marketing or community team mm -hmm. if you don't know somebody who could introduce you then you know reaching out on linkedin um really connecting with that person and trying to set up some kind of either meeting or phone call before you sort of ask for anything really to try to get to know what their goals are um and what they're trying to achieve over the next couple months over the next year and then from mm -hmm. that conversation, being able to kind of tailor something to them, you know, not just like sending over a general sponsorship package, but really kind of tailoring it towards their goals and really understanding what's going to help them. Interesting. So I guess what you call it like a discovery call type of thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, that's a big gem. A lot of people will just DM and go straight for the ask every single time. Yeah. Um, starting with a discovery yeah. call. Yeah. <laughs> asking for a discovery call. I've learned that the hard way, you know, is a great way to just have a more smoother approach mm-hmm. to um, getting a brand deal and figuring out what they want. Um, and then having that mutual agreement of, all right, you want X and I want Y. Let's meet together. And also just being patient with the process. I think a lot of people just uh, want to DM and just, okay, I already asked them. Let's wait for the yeah. response. But there's also like oh a God, nurturing process to really get to the process. answer. You, like mm-hmm. with like, I think like any partner that I work with, like it was a long process. It's not like somebody who like overnight was like, yeah, I'll like write you a check. Like you have to really like, you have to explain what the event is invite them to come experience the event maybe they need a couple months to come out and see it to like truly experience it um Mm. yeah and just like continuous follow-up but you know like obviously like spacing it out and not kind of pestering them there's really kind of like Mm. a balance to it Mm. so what patience with it yeah definitely uh that's a big jam so awesome so so now with uh you know you've been doing the event like, where do you see the future of Fuck Up Nights TO? Like, uh, when you look now and moving forward, how big do you see it getting? Uh, are there some other communities here in Ontario that haven't had it that you want to move towards? Uh, where do you see uh, Fuck Up Nights here in, like, the province moving towards? Yeah, really good question. Um, so it, it Fuck Up Nights Toronto actually inspired a lot of new chapters of Fuck Up Nights mm-hmm. to start all across Canada. Um, like Calgary, for example, was a chapter that was inspired by ours. Um, Hamilton, um, Vancouver existed before Toronto, but kind of it ended up dying off and now was restarted. Um, so it's actually, it has a really good presence across Canada. For me, I really want to focus on Fuck Up Nights Toronto. I actually, so we didn't even talk about this, but I actually launched Fuck Up Nights Kitchener Waterloo as well. Um, and I, I ran that one. I ran that chapter for a year. And then I recently handed it over to the local team that I built there. There was, you know, just somebody who was better positioned to run it. Somebody mm. who was truly um, immersed in the ecosystem there and, you know, like lives in KW, lives and breathes it, knows um, all the companies there, all the entrepreneurs. Um, so it was just, it just made sense. And it was really the, the right timing for me to hand that over and to really be able to focus on fuck up nights. Um, it's kind of hard for me to say, like, I'm really in the middle of this pivot with, um, with COVID. I know that leading up to all of this happening, it was really positioned for growth. Um, we had just, Mm -hmm. um, in November moved into Shopify's new space into their new Mm -hmm. venue. Um, the event grew, that fits more people. Um, we had, you know, like amazing speakers set for, you know, like for the next several months. Um, there was a lot of opportunities for partners that were interested sort of in the events. And then some of those companies have unfortunately have gone through their own struggles and layoffs and um, stuff of all that nature, you know, just dealing with the, with the crazy times that are happening. So in some ways it's like, it's definitely slowed down and it's like, it's not, you know, what I thought it was going to be, but now there's a new opportunity to explore uh, virtual events and when we do go back to being able to kind of bring people together in person I'm very curious to see um, how that grows and what that experience is going to look like but it's kind of it's tough it's like things are sort of evolving and we're experimenting with things um, very quickly now so it's it's hard for me to predict what it's going to look like in the next year whereas before I could have given you a very um, concrete answer because I had a vision for it for sure for sure uh, where can they find the community podcast 
Yeah, for sure. So for my personal channels, I'm Marsha Drucker across all of them. Just search for me. You'll find me. Uh, would love to connect with you. And then for mm-hmm. Fuck Up Nights, it's Fuck Up Nights T.O. Uh, Fuck Up Nights T.O. C.A. And then for the podcast, it's called Create Community. Um, on Instagram, okay. it's Create Community Pod. And then the website is createcommunitypod.com. And then mm-hmm. any platform that you listen on, just search Create Community and you'll find it. Solid, Amazing. solid, solid. Yeah, Marsha, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, it was a pleasure connecting with you over the past couple of weeks and uh, actually booking a time to actually talk to us and sharing your journey with us of launching Fuck Up Nice Toronto and uh, what you're looking to do for the city by galvanizing all entrepreneurs together to really be vulnerable and share their failures and how we can all learn from them to really grow together as an entrepreneurial community here in the city. Thank you. It was so much fun chatting with you guys. Yeah. Most definitely. Thank you.